Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Go ahead and check out the description of this episode so you can find the link to our link tree, get access to all of our socials, as well as our YouTube channel so you can watch all of our episodes in full. This week, we're partnering with the Kentucky Colonel and Spectre Arts in Philadelphia. Make sure you check out all of our socials to stay up to date on our great content we're going to make with these collaborations and more details about the groups. Okay, Tuesday, uh, Thursday, excuse me, January 11th. Justin, just me and you today. Zach could not make it. A lot to get into, though. We'll get, we'll get into it right away. Saban, retiring, found out last night. Got a lot of other head coaching jobs in the NFL also having vacancies right now. But we're going to start with Saban. Saban did announce he is retiring with uh, uh, with Alabama, the Roll Tide. Um, what were your overall thoughts on this, Justin, when you first heard about this? I mean, breaking news, of course, no one really thought this was coming. You kind of wonder if he would have stayed if Alabama had a better season than it did last year. Well, better being that they made it to the national championship. But just what was your overall thoughts on this? Were you surprised when you heard this? Or, you know, we did you think he was going to stay longer? Did you want him to stay longer? Like, what was your overall thoughts on when you heard this? I'm surprised. I think it's weird that he retired even. Uh, and that uh, with Bama, he was three wins away from getting his 300th win. I think he could have stayed one more year for that. Maybe even go out with a national championship. But maybe he would have retired anyway if they won the national championship, beat Michigan, and then obviously beat Washington. So I could see Saban possibly possibly being an analysis, possibly being a yeah. game film analysis. I think this is going to be interesting to see where he goes, but I don't think he's going to the NFL and certainly not coaching college football. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as somebody that would be good behind a booth, like would be good in broadcasting. He he seems very dry to me. Uh, doesn't really seem energetic, but I'm sure he knows his stuff. Like you said, Justin, it, he's going to be a good analyst for sure. He's going to be able to break down film better than probably anyone else. And, you know, whether it be ESPN, Fox, CBS, we'll see where he goes. I think it's the transfer portal. Personally, I think it's the transfer portal, the NIL. I mean, college sports right now, we've been talking about it at length on this show over and over. Is an absolute circus right now. It's getting out of hand. And I think that might have done him in. He just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. You have you have head coaches on every podcast, every news articles you read. I mean, it's they're so tired of the transfer portal and you know, this NIL money has gotten out of hand as well. And it's just an absolute crazy, crazy scene in college sports right now, both in football and basketball. And for me, I think that's what ultimately did him in. It's just not like it was when he first started, that's for sure. Uh, NFL, uh, speaking of vacancies, speaking of people parting ways and even just getting fired, a lot of uh, news in the NFL this week, Justin. A very, very extended Black Monday, that's for sure. We'll start with Arthur Smith. I mean, of course, Bill Belichick, we just found out last night. He's parting ways. Um, you know, Ron Rivera, Mike Frabel, uh, Arthur Smith, Pete Carroll is not going to be a head coach anymore. But we'll start with Arthur Smith. Of course, he is going to be gone with the Falcons now. Um, nothing went right for the Falcons during Smith's tenure. He never had uh, two. He never had a span where he won two games in a row. Um, had multiple three-loss streaks as well as the Falcons coach. Didn't utilize his offensive weapons enough, especially this year with his rookies in B. John Pitts and London. Um, I mean, what were your overall thoughts on Arthur Smith? He had to go. I mean, what was? I mean, I think it was a good call. I think if there were if there was one name in Black Monday that people were pretty confident was going to leave, it was Arthur Smith, and it didn't end up happening. What were your overall thoughts, Justin, on this? Well, it was a good move by the Falcons, maybe a little bit too soon, but Arthur Smith definitely underachieved in Atlanta, not winning the division. He doesn't have a quarterback, obviously. I think the Falcons have a pretty semi-talented roster. They're in a pretty weak division, obviously. Um, they could have had Deshaun Watson a couple years ago, but instead when he yeah. went to the Cleveland Browns. But I think that the Falcons made the right move here. And obviously there's a lot of a lot of big-name coaches out there. You never know yep. who yep. they could end up with in uh, in Atlanta. And Arthur Plank has got a lot of uh, searching to do on his hands for next head coach. 
Yeah, didn't, I mean, like I said, didn't utilize his offensive talents all year. We've been saying it at length on this show over and over. I mean, the rookie B. John Robinson didn't utilize, I mean, even veteran talent like Pitts, London, he didn't utilize them either. And he kept Desmond Ritter in way too long. The I don't know why Desmond Ritter played as long as he did all season. I don't know why he started as much games as he did all season. That, I think, was ultimately his undoing. And both... <laughs> Atlanta fans for sure did not want to see Desmond Ritter play anymore. And even national fans were just wanted him off our screens on Sunday. So to him, for him to keep him in that long, that was definitely his undoing for sure. A lot of head coaching jobs, like you said, uh, a lot of, well, a lot of head coaches available now in the NFL. I've been hearing a lot of uh, buzz about potentially Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator mm-hmm. for uh, Detroit lions. I think that makes a lot of sense. A lot of his, playmakers on Atlanta are very similar to the Lions so that might be a name that comes out as a replacement for Arthur Smith in Atlanta maybe Ben Johnson from from Detroit obviously not gonna happen anytime soon Detroit is getting ready for their playoff games coming up here Mike Vrabel Mike Vrabel is also out I was not surprised about this I think it's a firing I still think it was more of a mutual parting of ways I know it was labeled as a firing Mike Vrabel way too talented Tennessee Nashville they knew this and I think it really was more of a, a mutual parting, kind of giving Mike Vrabel what he wants, respecting what he wants, and realizing that his talent as a head coach was absolutely being squandered uh, in Nashville. What were your overall thoughts about Vrabel, Justin? Well, I think the Titans really wanted a new voice of the room and, and Vrabel. Um, it was a mistake to fire him. I know Titans fans are very, very upset with the firing of Vrabel. But, uh, but I think Vrabel could get definitely could get one of these jobs coming up even who knows even it even teams in the playoffs could move on from their head coach if they lose in the first round yeah never know of, yeah of course uh ten, he led the tennessee to four consecutive winning seasons after he arrived there in 2018 but of course his last two back-to-back seasons finishing multiple games under 500. Not much of a litmus test. I mean, it's only been two years, and of course he's still a really good coach. And like you said, Justin, I think that's why a lot of people in Tennessee were thrown off by this news. People weren't thrown off, though, by Ron Rivera. I I mentioned Arthur Smith being one of those names we were pretty confident was going to be gone on Monday. Uh, Ron Rivera was another one of those names. Obviously just absolutely abysmal. Uh, Finished this season 4-13. His time with the Commanders, he went 26 for 40 and with one tie as well in his four seasons at the helm. Obviously, you know, you know, this new GM, this new Harris ownership group, they want to do things differently. I'm surprised they even waited all season to do this, but of course this was no surprise. A lot of people saw this coming and uh, yeah, they will be in search for a new coach as well. Anything else you want to really say about Ron Rivera before moving on? It's interesting how the commanders and Josh Harris and the new ownership group is bringing in a, NBA GM, former NBA executive, yep. uh, who is it, Bob Myers. Yeah, yep. Bob Myers from the Golden State Warriors and Rick Spielman, another former NFL executive with the Vikings to search for their new GM and possibly their new head coach. So I think Washington's doing uh, doing doing things a little differently, but uh, it's very intriguing actually how they're bringing in these guys to search for a new GM and coach. Yep. And obviously – Maybe even Bill Belichick. You never know. Especially, we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah. Pete Carroll, before we get to Belichick, mm-hmm. uh, that was surprising. Not leaving the team. Not fired or anything. He's just, I, I guess you can call it a demotion, if you want to call it that. He's still going to be on the team. Still going to be helping out uh, with the team, of course, but just will no longer be the head coach. Weird, though. My front only office with... position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything you want to say about this? Justin, weird, really, because... This came two days after Carroll basically went on a press conference and said that he attended the return as the coach for next season. So a little bit weird. I mean, what were your thoughts on this when you heard about it? It's definitely weird. I mean, I thought Pete Carroll was going to come back for another season. And I think that Pete Carroll uh, is going to have a big role with the Seahawks still as an advisor in the front office. Yeah. So maybe he could be part of their next head coaching search. And I think we should go over how intriguing these jobs are as well. Very. That's uh, yeah. that's open. Yeah, we'll do that on Saturday. We'll go over, you know, we'll kind of rank the intrigue of these head coaching positions. Uh, we're just kind of breaking them down right now. I mean, we can do it right now too, Justin. I mean, what mm-hmm. would you think would be the most intriguing uh, 
vacancy right now. I mean, I think I definitely think the Patriots would be intriguing just because, uh, you know, just the ownership group that they have there. Of course, they're on the downcline right now. They don't really have a lot of talent. They don't really have a quarterback, but they're going to be drafting high for sure. And might even be in the Caleb Williams Bowl if they can, you know, if the Bears want to trade that and the Patriots might be interested in that because they definitely need a quarterback. But how about you? Like, what, what would be a uh, intriguing vacancy for you? The Falcons in tra- uh, vacancy, I think that's intriguing. But the Chargers, with their yeah. roster and Justin Herbert, I think that's going to be a very big vacancy. Maybe even the Raiders, if they officially decide to move on from Antonio Pierce, that could be a big vacancy. The Patriots, obviously. I know their roster's not great right now, but a uh, a big for a very successful franchise uh, since Bob Kraft has owned the team, obviously in New England. So I could see, I, I could see maybe even Vrabel going to New England. I could mm-hmm. even see a big name coach in New England, maybe even a Harbaugh if he decides to leave Michigan after the national championship I victory. Yeah, I do think Harbaugh is going to leave. But yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. I've no, I don't remember the last time there's been this many firings. Well, not so much firings, but just throughout the year, big this name many firings too. Yeah, that's the thing. It's been a lot of big names, people leaving, retiring, moving on, parting ways, whatever you want to call it. That's that's been the thing. It's been a lot of big names. We've had a lot of seasons, of course, Black Monday. You know, we've had a lot of Black Black Mondays, but uh, this one was particularly more black because just of the names themselves, not really the amount of people but just the quality of people the name how big the names were that ultimately ended up leaving the head coaching positions let's move on to complaintives justin doing a little bit differently this week what is your complaintive of the week my complaintive of the week is the cutter gather drama if you you ever say say his name right with the flyers uh, another trade, another Philadelphia athlete or another athlete in Philadelphia that did not want to play in the city. Um, uh, he's up there now with Ben Simmons. He's up there now with Carson Wentz. He's up there now with certain other athletes that have played in Philadelphia. But, uh, but yeah, another, uh, yep. another drama. Well, they, it's the fan base too, uh, <laughs> too, too volatile of a fan base. I think Flyers handled the situation amazingly though i mean they basically got rid of him uh, while his draft capital was the highest it was and they got some you know some good good uh good return back from him i don't know the exact nature of the deal of the trade that they made but yeah i mean basically uh i think he just won the world championships and he was had, had the highest draft value uh, or just had the highest value possible at that time and you know flyers the front office they heard this news kudos to them got rid of him while he was still high and hey they uh, got some good return out of him Tortorella probably played a played a role in it too I mean not yeah. a lot of guys like Tortorella playing with uh John Tortorella as their coach but yeah they're a young yeah. team right now and uh, with the Flyers and and uh you know things are kind of they have a new basically a new front office if you can say with Keith Jones as the president and Danny Briere as the general manager Mm-hmm. My complaintive of the week, the refs favoring the Lakers. Sure, you saw this Tuesday night. Raptors played the Lakers. Uh, Raptors fell to the Lakers, of course, 132 to 131. Biggest storyline of this game, though, the parody in free throws and the horrible refing in the fourth quarter, specifically in the fourth quarter, Lakers shot 23 free throws. Raptors only went to the line twice. For the game, the Lakers were 28 of 36 from the charity stripe, and the Raptors were only 8 of 13. Anthony Davis alone scored 20 of his 41 points in the fourth quarter. 11 three throws was 11 for 11 in that final period. Uh, Davis shot 14 of the Lakers, 36 free throws on the whole entire game. Terrible refing. Darko Rochkovich, of course, after the game was furious. He has all the right to be. I mean, absolutely the refs were clearly, clearly favoring the Lakers, and it ended up leading to a Raptors loss. So, I mean, as the head coach, can't blame him. He's going to be upset, and just absolute terrible look by the refs. All right, Maker Faker, Justin, what is your Maker of the Week? 
My maker of the week, I'm going to go with Mike Rabel. Going to be able to coach a better team uh, than he did in Tennessee. Um, I think there's going to be some intriguing jobs open with the Chargers. Obviously, we mentioned the Patriots. He is a former Patriot under Bill Belichick. Obviously, he played a uh, linebacker for them in uh, in the early 2000s. So, Vrabel could be an interesting candidate in New England. Then you have uh, the Raiders. That's always an interesting franchise. Not the best run franchise, obviously, right now, but... Uh, but the Raiders, the Falcons, a lot of a lot of interesting jobs. Maybe even Washington with their new ownership, and obviously maybe even a team in the playoffs that loses in the first round could be Philadelphia, even Dallas, maybe Tampa Bay could be a team that loses in the first round that might want to move on from their head coach. So Mike Vrabel is my maker of the week. My maker of the week is going to be Minnesota basketball um, playing really well this year, um, despite yeah. struggling last year. Last year, they went two and 17 in Big Ten games this year alone, already at three and one in Big Ten play, already beating their win total from last year. Uh, junior guard coming up, Darcy Gar- Gar- uh, Darcin. Garcia, excuse me. He's playing absolutely amazing. He's averaging 16.7 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, and over two assists per game as well. He's been absolutely crushing it. Golden Gophers, man, they're on an upcline in college basketball, beating out teams in the Big Ten like Nebraska, Maryland, and Michigan. So it's, uh, you know, they got a matchup coming up Friday night against Indiana away. This is going to be a true litmus test for the team. Indiana, of course, being one of the best teams in the country. If Minnesota, you know, if they can at least go in there, Get a win, of course, would be amazing, but even keep this game close. I think a lot of people should be talking about Minnesota basketball more as an up-and-coming team that has really gotten things together um, from last year. Justin, what's your uh, what's your faker of the week? My faker of the week, I'm going to go with Washington's defense against the run. Uh, Michigan could not, uh, you know, they could not stop Michigan's running attack, and they have a great running attack over in, uh, in Michigan, but Washington's defense and offense actually did not play well in the national title game and a dominant win for Michigan. My faker, uh, yet again, the Pistons. Um, they were up by the Kings recently by 20 going into halftime. Uh, well, not halftime, actually. They jumped off to a 20-point first-half lead. Uh, uh, Jalen Duran and Bojan Bojanovic combined to score 23 of the Pistons' first 27 points, and they went up 27 to 15 through the first five minutes of action. Uh, they continued to they continued to push the pace, and um, you know they were um, they went up 47 to 29, um, and this 47 first quarter points tied the second most scored in any one quarter by any team in the NBA history. Uh, going um, then they led by 54 to 36, but then went absolutely cold. The Kings would go on runs to take a 66 to 65 lead, which is over a minute remaining in the half. They would never get it back, um, getting outscored 63 to 45 in the second half and ultimately ending the game um, 131 to 110. Absolutely just brutal. I mean, Pistons were playing the best, really the best quarter of any team in the NBA season. And, of course, they reverted back to being the Pistons in the second half and just got absolutely blown away by the Kings. And that's my that's my faker. Pistons get a lead but couldn't hold on to it. Just an absolute just joke right now of a team. Just can't play together, can't figure things out. And, you know, even a 20-point lead they can't hold on to. All right, moving on. Interview. Cole Park from Kentucky Colonel. Going to break down football, Kentucky football from last year. Overall, their season, how fans thought about the season, good season, bad season, all of that. And, of course, get into the basketball season. Awesome interview with him. Um, why is this team uh, maybe one of the best teams Kentucky has seen this decade? Uh, you know, offensively, defensively, break it down all with him. The expectations for this team going into March and uh, anything else we get into on that interview. So without further ado, let's head to the Midwest and talk to Cole Park in Kentucky. Okay, we are on Kentucky's campus this week, talking to Cole Park, 
the sports editor for the Kentucky Colonel. The it's a student-run uh, newspaper, mm-hmm. the Kentucky Kentucky Colonel, right? Cool. Uh, at, at the University of Kentucky. Yes, it is the independent student newspaper of the University of Kentucky. It is run and operated entirely by students. Awesome, and you're the sports editor, so had to have you on. We are a sports podcast, of course. Uh, Kentucky football uh, last year had a really good season with Will Levis. Uh, of course, he did end up going to your rival Titans, uh, your cross-state rivals with the Titans. Uh, obviously, had a little bit of a hole there to fill. This season kind of showed that. Started off the season 5-0, and but ended up uh, losing five of its last seven. And, of course, ending in that 7-6 to season. Uh, second straight seven to six season without a bowl game win, and it's the fourth overall seven to six uh, without a bowl game win under under Mark Stoops. If I have that correct, that's a stat that I saw online. What was it the fan like? What was the overall expectations of the fan base going into this year, knowing that Will Levis was leaving, of course, and uh, was it a, a successful season? You know, given the fact that they had that huge hole at the quarterback position, or were fans expecting a little bit more? given the taste of success that they had the year prior? Yeah, so I would definitely say this season left uh, a lot to be desired, to say the least. Um, Myself included, we do our editors' picks every single year going into the season, and um, all three editors projected Kentucky to lose three games this year. And uh, that's not quite what happened (laughs) as you went over. So, um, you know, losing Will Levis was huge, understandably so. Um, Will Levis was a life lifeline for Kentucky fans, you know, no disrespect to any quarterback before him, but it felt like a long time since a quarterback could really sling the ball the way he could. And year one, you combine that with Wondell Robinson, who's been doing great stuff in the NFL as well. And you had a, a lethal combination. So you come back, you have, you know, at the time, a lot of people were really high on Devin Leary, you know, another big transfer quarterback. You have, um, yeah, Liam Cohen coming back as offensive coordinator who helped make Levis so great in that first year. A lot of people were really, really willing to believe that that down year in Levis's second year might have been to blame on the offensive coordinator, Rich Scangrello. Um, and then you got a lot of good pieces. You know, Ray Davis coming in. Ray Davis did live up to the hype for the most part. I mean, he was arguably one of the best running backs to ever come through Kentucky in one season. So you had Ray Davis coming in. You had, you know, the wide receiver group coming back. You had Barryon, Dane, Tavion. I mean, all those guys were expected to make some big strides. So, you know, the the expectations are very, very high. The expectations were to get back to that 10-win season that they'd accomplished just one year prior. And, um, you know, you start off the season with your expected wins, your FCS opponent, your max schools, the schools that Kentucky should be beating, right? Um, I think they beat Akron, Ball State, Eastern Kentucky. Um, and then they go on the road, beat a – Let's call a duck a duck, a not very good Vanderbilt squad. So you start off a pretty easy schedule on the road. You beat Vanderbilt, and then you come home and you beat Florida. And that's a big game, but in retrospect, it's one that um, admittedly wasn't as big as it seemed at the time. You know, that's college football, though. There's a lot of teams that, like, lest we forget, Colorado was ranked in the top 25 at one point. (laughs) So college football is constantly changing, and at the time, Florida seemed like a big opponent, and it seemed big. So, you know, maybe there was some inflation in what Kentucky – where people thought Kentucky would be. And then you had the absolute destruction at Georgia. Then you had the just collapse against Missouri. And, you know, they got a couple more wins in the season. They got a a notable one in Starkville against, admittedly, a not very good Mississippi State team who was reeling off a loss to their head coach. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, quite frankly, Kentucky just wasn't all that good this year. And it's what, what hurt that more is that you did have that great start, like you mentioned. You had an easy front to the season that you were able to kind of inflate your win total, and then it all came crashing down. For Kentucky, though, what you can say about Kentucky is their losses were not that bad, though. I mean, Georgia, obviously not a bad loss. (laughs) Missouri was not a bad loss. I mean, they ended up the season – they ended the season uh, on top two. And then Tennessee as well was definitely not a bad team by any means. And then of course you lost to Alabama was another loss and South Carolina. So the teams you did lose to were not bad teams by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, top top five teams, some of them really even, and it was just unfortunately the schedule, that's how it ended up this year. And, you know, it was a hard, you know, hard couple matchups and they're just, that's how it is when you're in the sec, just the matchups are not going to be easy and you have to really battle to, uh, you know, get those top rated bowl games. Let me ask you though, about Ray Davis, you mentioned Ray Davis might be one of the best 
running backs to come through Kentucky. I think he might actually be the best running back to come through Kentucky. And I'd like, like to get your thoughts on that and, you know, what the fan base thinks about of that as well. I mean, finished with 21 touchdowns, 14 rushing, and seven receiving, of course. So uh, that's – I think that the, uh, the program's – record right in one season was 21 touchdowns for a running back if i'm not if i'm not mistaken so i think yes he Ray davis actually was one of the best running backs in the league or in, in the program history at least yeah no i i would agree if you want my personal opinion i would say he's the best um i'm a big ray davis guy i i've got the special privilege you know as a part of the media i've talked to ray davis i've talked to running backs in the past that have come through kentucky ray davis is a fantastic guy you know super super humble um i remember after the florida game it was probably one of the best games Kentucky's seen out of a running back. He was so close to breaking the single game record, I think. And he didn't take a single ounce of credit. It was all, you know, that's my O-line. They gave me blocks. You know, the team played great today. Even when you look at it, the team as a whole didn't play that great against Florida. Ray Davis did. But, you know, he was the first one to sing his team's praises and not take any credit for himself. You know, he's got a tremendous story. It's been well documented, you know, the struggles he had in his upbringing. And, I think he's a fantastic individual, and what he did on the field speaks for itself. I would personally say Ray Davis is the best running back to come through Kentucky, but I usually say one of because Kentucky's had a lot of really great running backs the last few years. I mean, you had the Benny Snell years. Yeah, you know, you had um, Chris Rodriguez. You had a lot of guys who came through that were really, really big guys and really, really big names. So I say one of just to kind of be respectful, you know, give that give credit where it's due to a lot of other running backs. But if you want my personal opinion, I think Ray Davis has to be number one. Uh, I think he's a fantastic individual off the field and on the field. I mean, man, what a monster. <laughs> I mean, other teams could know exactly yeah. what he's going to do and could not stop it. It was impressive to watch. Accounted for 68 percent of Kentucky's rushing yards this year, uh, just under uh 12 well just over 1100 at 1129 how concerned are we though about this qb uh battle that's going to be happening next year i mean you already kind of alluded to it uh they signed lexington christian academy i think uh is what it's called cutter boily am i am i saying that correctly cutter uh they have him yeah they cut cutter boily um van graff from georgia he's coming in uh obviously was the back up under Carson Beck for a long time as well. And uh, a Brew Allen as well from Georgia Southern. So you have a three-way quarterback controversy going on in the offseason, heading into the training camp here. How concerned are we from the fan base, uh, you know, about this, you know, three-way battle for quarterback and really not having that established guy going into the next season? Um, if you want to be honest with you, I don't think there's all that much concern. Um, obviously it's going to come down to training camp and how everyone does. But if you're looking at it right now, I would expect Brock to be the starter come fall. And I think most people are. He's a former five-star guy. He's coming from Georgia. I mean, a guy like that, he transfers to Kentucky for a reason, right? Um, and I think a lot of people are really excited for what he could bring to the table and excited for what he could do. Um, I think that Bo Allen will be the backup, um, which I think is a good thing. You know, he when he left Kentucky, he – wasn't where he needed to be, but he went and got some experience. I think it was at Tarleton State in the FCS level. And more importantly, what that did, I think, is it gave him confidence. He didn't have a ton of time to really play here at Kentucky. So he got some reps, and he was going to be at Georgia Southern for a year, but I believe he had to sit out because it was a second transfer. So he never really played there. And when the opportunity opened up, you know, you had um, the whole room pretty much. You had uh, Destin Wade, Deuce Hogan, Kaya Sharon all leaving the Kentucky program. You needed a backup. And, you know, Bowen's a guy who's from here. I think he's from Somerset. So it's easier to be a backup at home where you're comfortable and can at least try to compete for the starting role than it is to, you know, be somewhere like Georgia Southern. I mean, I, I think that he – not that he's not going to compete. I think he will, absolutely. But I think that if he were to get the backup role that I expect he will, he's going to be fine with that because, you know, perhaps that's what he's comfortable with at this point. And he's, he shined at Tarleton State. I thought he did some really good things there. So he's definitely not the Boa that left Kentucky. He's a very competent and capable quarterback. So I think, you know, no disrespect to the guy. I hope he does well. But you saw when Will Levis went down and even Devin Leary a few times, Kaya Sharon just, to me, didn't feel like an SEC starter. He really wasn't at that level yet. Um, so it'll be nice, you know. Obviously, you hope nothing happens to Brock. But if, if you need to throw in a backup for a little bit, it – a guy like Bo Allen that's proven that he can do it, that has had some meaningful reps, that has, has led a team. You know, it's it's big. As for Cutter Bowley, I think um, I think your concern should not be getting him game ready this season. I mean, it's been a, a criticism of Kentucky, really, for these last few years and how much they've relied on the transfer portal. But you need to prove that you can develop a quarterback. And uh, Cutter Bowley, to me, strikes me as 
If you play your cards right, he's going to be a fantastic starter in a few years. You know what I mean? He's a guy you want to develop right. to be that guy, but maybe you're not you're not trying to throw him into the fire right away. Um, so get him in there. Let him get behind a five-star guy. Let him get behind someone who started and played meaningful reps um, and let him get that confidence and let him develop. And then you can kind of let him be your guy going forward. But I don't expect him to really be meaningfully in that quarterback battle necessarily this year. Um, I think this is a big development year for him. And Kentucky needs, if you want my opinion, they need to develop that quarterback because it's been a big criticism. And it's one I have personally levied in some stores for, you know, when you look at, um, you know, a lot of people are very, very glad Mark Stoops come back to this program. Uh, but there's still there's still problems that exist in the program that you need to try to fix sure. if you want to get to that next level, especially with the playoffs expanding and opportunities for you know postseason football becoming bigger. You want to be a, a school that can actually develop quarterbacks. So um, I'm hoping they take that job you know very seriously and they can develop him to be a really great player in a few years. <laughs> Cutter Bowley, of course, just coming out of high school too. So. That's a lot for him to be thrown into an SEC school, SEC uh, juggernaut, that is. You know, you saw the schedule that you always have every single year, and especially this year, you struggled against it. So might be a lot, might be a hard ask for for him. And then, of course, uh, Boy Allen, like you said, he he has a little bit of uh, experience that he needs to gain as well, and a little bit more uh, practice and uh, ability that, that he needs to gain as well before he can get a starting job. But, yeah, I mean – Vandergraaf, of course, I think he, Brock Vandergraaf, of course, five-star recruit from high school, four-star recruit at Georgia, and then uh, he obviously was the backup for Carson Beck for a long time as well with tremendous coaching. So I think a lot of people think as well in the media that he will get the starting job as the uh, quarterback, but hey, we'll see. Maybe something happens. Uh, Boyley, uh, you know, uh, Boyley or uh, uh, Boy Allen, maybe they, you know, turn some heads and something happens here in training camp. What is the expectations, though, going into the season? You mentioned the 12-team playoff, of course, this year, going from 4 to 12. Um, is there any, any chances that the fan base has, any expectations on the fan base that Kentucky might be one of these 12 teams next year? Oh, man. Um, that's a tough one. Because um, yeah. you really, you got to really pose the question, could Kentucky be sure? They have the schedule to do it. You have a gauntlet in the SEC, yeah. and that's – Lest anyone forget, that's an SEC that's adding Oklahoma and Texas next year. Kentucky travels to Austin next season. They'll play at Texas. So um, the opportunities for big wins are there for sure, um, that if they are able to kind of exceed expectations, they could make the playoffs. Um, very, you know, they have definitely the wins to do it, and the wins to be a very high seed if they can do it. But I think um, on that same vein, on that same branch, you have a lot of really, really tough opponents. And, um, you know, I like the way the schedule is laid out. It's laid out to be more kinder to Kentucky. You know, it, they've got some easier games kind of thrown in the middle instead of just all at the beginning and then kind of fed to the gauntlet. Um, that's kind of been another problem with Kentucky is ha letting those losses spiral. So I, re I really like having some of those easier games kind of thrown in the middle of the schedule and even towards the end so you can kind of rebound and bounce back. So that's always good to look forward to. But um, it's going to be a tough schedule, man. It, it looks it looks brutal. So I would say the expectation, I mean, I can't speak for everybody. There's certainly people who are, are all on that I want playoffs. But I just think you look at last year, and certainly all the losses maybe except South Carolina were understandable. I mean, at the time, you didn't really know what Missouri was going to be. They were kind of undervalued at that time, but they went on to be great. But you look at that Georgia game, you look at the Alabama game, I mean, you're going to Texas, you got Georgia, you just need to be competitive in those games. Even if you lose those games, you need to show that you belong in those games. And going down to game, going down to uh, Athens, Georgia, playing Alabama here, Kentucky got ran off the field in both games, quite frankly. I mean, Alabama was up 21-0 halfway through the first quarter, and Georgia put 51 on their head. So you... I don't want to say that you should accept losing by any stretch of the imagination, but the goal I think for this year with such a tough schedule and so many tra incoming transfers is to show that Kentucky belongs in the conversation to be a big time SEC team again. I mean, obviously Tennessee's kind of been yep. coming back after having some down years in their program. Florida's a little bit down right now, but during the 10 win season, it was like Kentucky was playing Georgia for a chance at the East last year. It didn't really feel like Kentucky had any shot at the East whatsoever. So you want to be back in that conversation for, can we 
be at the level people are including us in those title conversations? Can we be in the can we be at the level that, you know, we're consistently in the AP poll? I mean, you want to be a legit team because that helps you in recruiting, that helps you in tran- in the transfer portal. And especially, you know, if you're able to be competitive in those games, that helps you a lot with developing the players you already have, getting them confidence. Because football, more than perhaps any other sport, is a game of, you know, you want to be good every year, but you're also preparing every single game for next year and the year after that and developing the players you got. Um, So I really think it's just about being in the conversation more than it is about actually making the playoffs. I think it's about being seen on a level that you actually talked about in that bubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to take, you know, we always say on this show, success begets more success, mm-hmm. right? You uh, have a good season here, better season the next year, then even a better season that third year. Recruits start to come in, get some more money, get some more uh, momentum under your belt. And then, you know, maybe in like four, four years from now, you could be one of those 12 teams because that's the thing about being in the SEC, you know, we saw this year at the ACC, it's, you know, even if you go undefeated in the ACC like Florida State did, you still might not make the playoffs. But that's the thing with the SEC is if you can have a good record in the SEC, you're going to make the playoffs, and especially if it's going to be a 12-team playoff. So that's something for Kentucky fans to really hang their hat on if they can really improve some things, get some better recruits, more money in. Uh, maybe in like two, three years, I mean, they really might be one of those 12 teams now that it has been expanded because, uh, you know, just being in the SEC alone, I think with that 12-team, uh, playoff expansion. I think a two-loss team absolutely has a chance to make the playoffs, if not even a third third loss team, especially if they were competitive in those three losses. So, like you said, a lot of things to look forward to for uh, football, Kentucky football fans, and we'll see what they can do in the next uh, two, three years. Get that quarterback situation figured out as well, and uh, they'll be flying high for sure. Basketball, Kentucky basketball, uh, relevant right now, of course, that sport that is in season. And not only that, the sport, uh, the team for Kentucky that's going to go very far this year, I think. Currently number six in the AP rankings. Uh, let me ask you this, man, real fast. Cool. Uh, best offense we've seen in a decade for Kentucky? It sure seems like it. I mean, they have, what, f- over three players shooting from uh, above 40% from beyond the three. And I think like five players are scoring in double digits. I mean, it's one of the best offenses that we've seen in a long time uh, for Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. Uh, you. When you look at Kentucky, there's always tough competition for best. But for me, one of the most fun, uh, I think, ever at Kentucky, quite frankly. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching this team. And it's so it's so crazy how, you know, growing up around this area, it feels like Kentucky is Kentucky again in that way. And, you know, you've got a lot of guys who do a lot of really great things well. You've got, um, you've got DJ Wagner, who I think was a little bit undervalued by some fans a little bit early on. You know, he goes down, they lose the Wilmington game, and it's like, Wow, DJ Wagner adds a lot to our team. Actually, they they need him. Um, Justin Edwards, he's a guy who again, you know, hasn't necessarily shined the way some people expected him to, but he's a really big piece for that team. Coming off the bench, I mean, Reed Shepard. What more can you say about Reed Shepard? He's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy they expected to be a real big fundamentals guy, maybe not the best shooter, and he's shooting the lights out. <laughs> he's he's un he's insanely reliable. You know, unwaveringly reliable even. And you got Rob Dillingham, perhaps a guy who's coming in here and playing like he's already in the NBA. He's that good. And, and certainly he makes mistakes. Certainly he has some of those things. But he plays an NBA style of basketball. He plays like a pro. And uh, he's so fun to watch. Now you got the bigs back. I mean, Ugana's done some great things. And Aaron Bradshaw, he even, even when he struggled a little bit at Florida, he had that massive block, had the three-pointer that ended up winning the game, really. Um, and then you got guys coming off the bench like Adu Thiero, um, does a lot of that fundamental stuff. One of the best rebounders on the team. Uh, Antonio Reeves has been so reliable that you don't even talk about him half the time because he's just consistently dropping 20 plus. Trey Mitchell, who's been perhaps the lifeblood of the entire team, you know, all of these guys, I mean, I just named over a full starting lineup worth of guys, and that's not even mentioning the everyone else. Like, there, this is an insane yep. roster that Kentucky's got this year, and I think that it really does have the chance to go really, really far. Yeah, the last wild uh, Wildcat team to have three shooters shooting above forty percent from the three was back in ninety seven, ninety eight season. Then I also mentioned, you know, the amount of players that you guys that you have that you just mentioned as well. Cool just shooting lights out and, you know, scoring and scoring in really fun ways as well. If you would round up Justin Edwards, uh, nine and a half points per game, we're, this will be out on Thursday, but we're recording this on Monday. If you would round up Justin Edwards, nine and a half points per game, that would be six Kentucky players shooting in double digits. 
Uh, the last time the team had six double-digit scores on average was the 2011-2012 season where they did end up going on to win the national championship. So, I mean, it's going to – I mean, talk more about the, the defense because the offense, of course, is not a problem for Kentucky. That's rolling. That's unstoppable right now. But how are they on the defensive side of the ball? Are they able to really uh, slow teams down? And do you think it's going to be a defense that can hold up once uh, March comes around and the tournament gets underway? underway? I do. Um I think that it's difficult to talk in full about Kentucky's defense because you have such a, a massive divide where you start the season with no seven footers and now you've got two, hopefully going to be three soon, you know, regarding the big Z situation. But um, the, the team has certainly changed on the defensive side of the ball with that. I mean, you saw it was obviously most people were talking about the three pointer hit by Bradshaw to win the game, but arguably just as important was the massive block he had right before that. Um, Adu Thierro is another guy who's been out the last few games with some back injuries, but he gets, he's been getting a decent amount of blocks. Ugana Onyenso is another big guy you throw out there. Um, as for slowing teams down, I think it's honestly somewhat the opposite. I think that Kentucky plays such a fast paced style of ball and can score so well that they're more willing to speed other teams up, force them into some more bad decision-making, force them into, you know, so what if they get a possession, we'll go down and score on the next one anyway, you know? Um, you kind of saw that a few times. I mean, they, they let Marshall score a whole lot of points. Uh, I think Marshall, you look at Marshall scoring that many points and you're like, what was Kentucky doing? Well, they were scoring 116 points themselves. I mean, that's, that's an NBA number. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Um, so I think that, you know, you could say they could do a little bit better at slowing other teams down, but I think that they play in a way that they're willing to speed other teams up and play their faster brand of basketball and score so much that, they're, very, they're solid on defense, man. I don't want to discredit that. I think that uh, they're better on defense than people give them credit for. I mean, especially a guy like Reed and your big guys down low. And Trey Mitchell does a lot of really great things as well. Um, and they just have, man, that offense is just so good that you're able to kind of, like, no matter what they do, it's like a battle of attrition. You know what I mean? And Kentucky yeah. just has more firepower than everyone else does. We, You talked about you rounding up. You got six guys scoring double figures. That's more than a starting lineup's worth of players that are scoring in double digits every single game. So most teams just simply don't have that kind of depth to back it up. And even the best of the best, I mean, Kentucky had no seven-footers and narrowly lost to Kansas on a neutral court. So um, they got the win over North Carolina. They've got a win um, at Florida now. Um Obviously, you said this is going to come out on Thursday, so we won't know the result of the Missouri game. But they've played good teams. They've played teams that can score. They've played good defensive teams. And no matter what happens, I mean, they just find ways to win. And I'm not going to say anything about the Wilmington game. You know, there was a lot of things you can point to. It was a bad game. It happens. But sure. for the most part, when they play good teams, they find ways to win. And I think that's really, really important. What was uh, – I mean, what was different – between this year and uh, last year. I mean, last year for Kentucky standards, not the best year. But like I said, man, like we just talked about it at length for the last 15, 10 minutes. They're playing lights out this year. I mean, offense was not nearly where it was last year. Uh, they you know, shot back this year, like I said, playing absolutely lights out. Defense, stopping teams as well. Really, truly one of the – looking like a top five team in the country. And I know they're number six right now, but definitely in a week or two, I wouldn't I – would, definitely could see them being a top five team in the country. And what has changed? I mean, really what has been the biggest difference between this year and last year, uh, you know, having this team bounce back? Um, if you want me to, I, I think first, if we're just getting the elephant out of the room, this team has more talent, quite frankly. Um, that's no disrespect to anybody who was on last year's team. But this year's, mm -hmm. I mean, this recruiting class was talked about so much because in the year, in the era of college, or in the era of college basketball, with so much transfer portal players and veteran players and fifth or sixth year guys, this is a team primarily made up of freshmen, and it was still so highly touted because it's got so many guys. But um, I think a big factor that's played a really, really important role um, is chemistry. I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak too much to last year's team and kind of discredit anything they did, or kind of you know, go too much about everything going on in that program, but. I think you just watch the way this team plays this year, and you can just tell they love playing basketball with each other. I mean, you can look at the assists they get every game, and that was one of the things. The Wilmington game they lost, their assist numbers were the lowest they've been all season, I want to say, um, or they were at least pretty low. So they, they share the ball. You know, they're very unselfish. Uh, there was 
a play that ended up not working out in Florida. They didn't get the basket, but a player was driving, had a semi-decent look at a layup, and he saw someone wide open on three-point line, and he made the pass. Sure, he could have got that two points, but he was like, hey, if we hit that three-pointer, that's big for momentum, that's big. You know, he's wide open. I'm going to give him the ball. And I think it's that mentality, you know, these guys aren't just bought in to play basketball. They're bought in to play basketball as a team. And I think that's really, really important. You talk about it all the time, you know, when they come out for interviews, the players are, are joking with each other. We were doing uh, post-game interviews after Florida. It was Reed Shepard and Aaron Bradshaw. And um, <laughs> someone was asking Reed about something about Bradshaw. And he he looks over, smiles a little bit, and then vote, like really loudly says Bradshaw's name and starts talking good about him. And Bradshaw looks over, smiles, and goes, oh, yeah, that Reed Shepard guy. They just start – they're joking with each other while doing interviews with the media. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that this team is so special because – they just, they get it. You know what I mean? They, they have that team cohesion. They're so bought in to play at Kentucky. And it's been a criticism of John Calipari um, these last few years that he he only cares about getting guys to the NBA. He only cares about, you know, he doesn't care about Kentucky as much. But these guys, obviously, they want to get to the NBA. Obviously, they're going to yeah. go to the NBA probably after one year. But while they're here, they're bought in to play Kentucky basketball. You know, they love the fans. They're signing autographs. They're they're engaging um, with people all the time they're playing for each other you know they're 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 joking they're they're just yeah. they're playing with that chemistry and energy that i haven't seen in years at kentucky you, you mentioned the assist uh kentucky ranks uh top in the na- uh, top 15 in the nation excuse me in five different offensive categories and assist is one of those categories of course probably even top five in assist i'm not i don't actually know the exact number offhand but you mentioned calipari uh I mean, I know crazy to think he was on the hot seat last year. I know I mentioned earlier in our talk that Kentucky definitely didn't have the best season last year. And it's crazy to think looking back on it, especially with how Kentucky's playing now that he was on the hot seat last year. What do you think about, and what is your thoughts, your takes on the narrative around Calipari that really all he cares about is getting people to the NBA. I know a lot of people have said that that's a very national media rhetoric that's going around. I know people probably within Kentucky, within Lexington are not really saying that, but what do you say to that rhetoric about Calipari? Uh, You know, really his only, one of his biggest goals is to get kids to the NBA and not really so much winning those national titles. I think it's taken a little bit out of context. Um, and I don't think that the actuality situation is bad at all. Calipari is very vocal about the fact that he tries to get guys to the NBA. There's been times players were thinking about coming back to college, and he told them, no, you should go to the pros. And yeah. some people take issue with that. Personally, I respect that. I really do. Um, I think that – I think a lot – I, I was never good enough to play in college, but I played sports in high school. And I think it's yeah. really easy sometimes for people to forget that when you're looking at these players, these are – people. And especially, you know, I'm in college, so it feels weird saying this, but for Calipari's perspective, these are kids. These are kids with dreams and futures, and they don't always know what's best for them necessarily. So I absolutely respect that, you know, he sets these kids up. We, we just talked with um, one of the assistants today in a post game, and he said he's worked in the NBA before, and he's like, Kentucky, probably so much more than other schools, Kentucky trains and practices and prepares itself like a pro team. You know what I mean? Like that the environment, like these guys are are working towards being professionals. They, they teach you how to get to those goals. They they teach you, you know, not just playing good basketball, they teach you, you know, eating right, getting in the gym, you know, working out, like building a life around basketball. And I think that I respect that a lot because one, not only does that make it huge for getting kids into Kentucky, whose goal is to get to the, I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves. When we, we talk about these top kids, these top college recruits, their goal is to get to the NBA. They might want to win a national championship to get there, but that's the number one goal is to go pro. For some of these guys, their number one goal is to go pro and support their families on the money they're going to make, you know, something like that. So I, I respect that he, he has that, but I, I don't think that it's so far that he doesn't care about winning the national championship. I think that's that's a bit hyperbolic and I understand it. You know, fans can overreact to things. Sometimes I've overreacted to a ton of things in my sports fandom and my sports life. Um, there's been times where my team's lost a game. They should. And I'm like, well, we'll never win again. It's over. Just fold the team. <laughs> so I, I get it. You know, fans, sometimes it's tough to, you know, see the bigger picture at all times, especially when things aren't going well in the moment. But 
I respect the Cal Perry is the way he is, and I think that if he wasn't that way, Kentucky would not get some of the recruits it does. Just simple as that. Um, I think it's a big selling point for recruits, and it, it makes them want to come here. Um, I think that yeah. certainly there's fair amount of criticism. As levied at Cal. I levied criticism at Cal. I wrote a column about whether or not last year was the breaking point. You know, should he have? You know, when you look at Kentucky, he's he's only won one national title in so many years, and it feels kind of funny to say only one national title because most coaches don't ever get one. But it's Kentucky basketball. You know, you have to understand the brand. Um, there was the nine and sixteen season, which I think he was helped a little bit by the fact that Duke and North Carolina also struggled that year. Um, but it was a bad year, a very bad year. And then you had the St. Peter's loss. You had even last year, you know, beating Providence and then losing close to Kansas State in the second round. It just wasn't what Kentucky basketball should be. But it was a big point that he made this year. Um, I forget which game it was after, but he had a quote that I really, really liked. I I quoted it on Twitter, I think, but sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter. But um, (laughs) he said, there was all this talk about, why don't you play this way? Why don't you play that way? How about I play with the team I have? And I think that this team that he's created – you know, this mixture of these veteran leader guys like Trey Mitchell and Antonio Reeves, who Kentucky was really lucky to get, both of those guys, um, especially Trey Mitchell, because there was some circumstances within West Virginia's program that led to Mitchell's decision to transfer that if that hadn't happened, he wouldn't be a Kentucky right now, simply put. Um, and I think he's, he's built a lot of really great things with these recruits. You know, you have the in-state guy like Reed. You have these big-time names from across the country, you know, both went to the same high school, Aaron Bradshaw and um, – DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards from that same area, you know, this is a Cal team that is everything he looks for, you know, and he's playing with the team he has. He's being more, he feels more comfortable than he has in his last few years. And I think that that says a lot, you know, he, this is a team that he created to play his brand of basketball, which a lot of people don't like to hear this, I guess, but a lot of the best coaches, their brand of basketball is whatever players they have. You can't fit a round peg into a square hole. You have to kind of adapt every single year to the players you got. Sometimes you can play a certain way. Sometimes you can't. If Oscar Shibwe was on this team right now, they'd be playing differently. They just would. They were slower these last two years because the offense was built around Shibwe. Now, even with seven-footers and Trey Mitchell, the offense is faster. They got these guys that they're built around speed. So I think, you know, this, this team is just more catered to his strengths more so. So it sounds like you were one of those guys, though, that was maybe questioning whether Calipari might have lost his step last year, based on the article you you wrote. And um, were you were you just voicing the sentiment of the fan base, or I mean, was it really ever did people ever actually think Calipari was going to leave last year? Let me just ask it that way. Was it more of a rhetoric, or was it actually a thing that people a lot of people thought was very possible uh, at the end of last season? I certainly think there it was possible, um, especially when you look at a circumstance like he was linked to the Texas job for a little bit, right? That was one of the big storylines is, is Cal going to go to Texas and whatnot, and he ended up not. But Texas itself had a storyline not that long ago, little-known guy called Shaka Smart, you know, has led Marquette to be a big-time program. He wasn't fired from Texas by any means. He, he was on the hot seat. He was struggling. They had a bad loss to, I think it was Abilene Christian. But he chose to go to Marquette in the offseason because, simply put, the seat was hot. He was struggling. He wanted a change of scenery. And Kentucky fans, and understandably so, you're probably the biggest brand in college basketball. I mean, the first program to reach 2,000 wins, the second most national titles outside of UCLA, who did most of theirs in the same decade. Um, Now, with Kansas's IARP violations, the winningest program of all time, the standard is ridiculous, but it should be, arguably. You know what I mean? Um, it's kind of like Alabama in football. If you were to be solid but have no postseason, then you start wondering, you know? Even this year when they lost to Texas, there's people wondering, has Saban lost a little bit? And that feels absurd. They made the playoffs, but that's just not the standard the program's at anymore. And Kentucky is not at that standard. I mean – you went 9-16. and 16. Obviously, he was hurt by COVID canceling the tournament, right? That was something that he couldn't have possibly helped. But after COVID, so that's one year. After COVID, you go 9-16, and 16, you don't make the tournament. That's two seasons. Then you go the next year, you're good. You have a two seed. You even blow out the eventual national champions in the regular season. 
Then you lose a St. Peter's. That's three straight years where fans did not see a single tournament win. One of those was completely out of your control. I get it. One of those was a crazy upset. They happened. I get it. But the fact of the matter was, it's been three years since Kentucky fans have seen a win. And even last year, when they finally got that postseason win, it felt iffy. You know, this was a team that came back all the players from a two seed almost, and they, they get a six seed, narrowly win their first round game, and then lose the second round game. So there were certainly a lot of questions of the problem is not necessarily you don't want to be lenient. The problem is how much do we allow this before this becomes the new standard? And you don't want that to become the new standard when you're in a program like Kentucky. You never want to accept that mediocrity. So I think there was certainly people that I don't think anybody thought he was actually going to be fired like after that season by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't think there was anybody that expected really and truly that last season was going to be the last year. But there was talks that, you know, are we getting to that point where it needs to be a real conversation? And I think most people are like, yes. There were obviously people who – there were obviously people who were like, he should be gone now, but that's sports. <laughs> if you're a sports fan, you understand that's sports. But I think that most people were generally at that level of it needs to be brought up. It needs to be discussed. It's uncomfortable. It's an ugly, wrinkly elephant in the corner of the room, but it's got to be mentioned. Um, and this year, I mean, I was that way. I think a lot of people were that way. But when this year started and you see what this year has become, it's okay. We might have overreacted a little bit, but. It's, this, it's the same way I see the Mark Stoops situation on the football side. I mean, after the South Carolina loss, obviously you had the whole thing going on with Texas A&M, and most people are glad he's coming back. But it's still important that just because you're glad something's going well, you don't forget that there are still problems. There are still things that were unacceptable, and that stretch for Kentucky was unacceptable. It's great that he's rebounded. I, I hope, you know, for his sake and for Kentucky's sake that they can have a really great season. I hope that, you know – I, selfishly, I hope that I get to cover a Final Four. I think that'd be awesome to be able to fly out there to Arizona and cover that game. That'd be absolutely amazing. It'd be a dream come true. You know, since growing up, I would, I've always wanted to be at a Final Four. But um, if he did, then it would be great that they rebounded. It would be, you know, we were being hasty, but it was a conversation that needed to be had because things were not going very well. And at Kentucky, things can only not go well for so long before you start to say, hey, you know, yeah. we're the best program in college basketball. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it wouldn't have lasted long. If, if this year would have been bad as well, I mean, it, it would have, things would have gotten very interesting very fast because Kentucky, your expectations, oh, like you absolutely. were saying, cool, are so high that, and that's, that's why things got bad so fast, even with him struggling for really only one year. Really, I mean, even the year before that, he was fine. Kentucky was fine. It was just one bad year and, and people already, you know, pounding on the panic alarm and talking about firing and getting rid of him and all that. And I thought, I thought it was crazy uh, at the time as someone from the outside, somebody from the outside looking in, uh, I thought it was kind of crazy, the whole rhetoric about firing Calipari. And I'm glad that I'm glad that he did not And I'm sure the whole Kentucky fan base is also glad that they did not because again, Kentucky number six in the league or number six in the nation right now, probably really a top five team. Well, cool. This has been really yeah, I fun. Will, man. I, will I really, say, go ahead. if you don't mind, I will say real quick though, yeah. to that point, I agree, and I'm not at all trying to compare John Calipari to this guy necessarily, but Billy Gillespie got two years in Kentucky before he was gone. You know, certainly that Kentucky, when things are not going well, the leash is significantly shorter than it is in other places because of that history. So I don't think it's kind of the same way as maybe a little bit different, but, you know, Indiana having their talks right now with their coach, um, I, it is hasty. It feels hasty, but you, you like I kind of mentioned, you have to worry about the standard of the program and not letting it get so far. So I think Kentucky, they had a, the precedent was there that one or two bad years could do it in for you, especially if those were your first two years, like it was for Gillespie. But um, certainly I think that I'm with you that I think they made the right choice into not doing anything. And I think that Calipari has got his swagger back a little bit, that this Kentucky team is one that has the real potential to go all the way. And it's been a joy to watch. It makes the job unattractable. I mean, it makes the job very unattractive because, you know, you come in there, you know, like you said, Cole, if you have one or two years uh, where you kind of slide a little bit, you're going to have a lot of a lot of uh, mad eyes on you and a lot of panic buttons being smashed. So a lot of stress, stress that many coaches might not want to deal with. But my last question, man, this has been like this has been really fun. Like I said, uh, definitely we'll be in touch. Have you on again, maybe in the future as well. We mentioned Calipari. 
uh, kids that, that he coaches going to the NBA. And you mentioned freshman Reed, uh, you know, Reed Shepard, the freshman earlier, playing absolutely amazing. Leads the country right now in true shooting percentage. I think he's the second uh, Kentucky guard to ever do that, to ever lead the country in true shooting percentage. So he's playing absolutely amazing. My last question for you, man, before we uh, before we head out here, what's the chances of him being a one and done going pro next year? Do you think it's uh, pretty much a locked in or has there been any rumblings about him maybe staying in Lexington after this year's done? Oh, man. I mean, there's still so many games left to be played that it's hard to say for sure. But if he keeps up this level of play, he would be insane not to go. I know he loves Kentucky. I know Kentucky loves him. But if he's playing at this level, he's a lottery pick like a big-time pick. The boards are high on him. He's, he's playing such a high-level basketball on both sides of the ball, defense and offense. He's scoring so, so well. I mean, if he keeps up this level of play, especially if Kentucky makes a deep run in March, especially if Kentucky even brings home some silverware either in the conference or in the in the national conversation, he's got to be gone. You, you think he's got to be. I mean, at that level, being that high of a pick, that high of a talent, Kentucky's got money for sure. Um, you know, people want to talk about NIL figures versus contract, but he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NBA if he keeps up this level of play. He'd be crazy. Not oh, yeah. To yeah, I, know, I don't know what the actual draft board is right now. I mean, it's still way too early, obviously, as well. I don't, we're not even halfway through this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hey, we'll see what happens. Hey, man, like, he's really fun to watch, though. Like I said, I've, I've seen him play a couple times now. Like you said earlier, he's probably one of the most fun players to watch regardless of what team he's on and I I want to see him continue to do to do well to see what he can do down the stretch and hopefully lead Kentucky to uh to greener pastures once you know uh March comes in March comes here well man it's been really fun like I said I'll be in touch uh love to have you on and we'll have to be uh have you on again in the future maybe Kentucky hopefully they can go far like I said deep into March and we can have you back on talk about you know their playoffs how they've been so far and just overall the season uh from last time we talked today yeah definitely i look forward to it hopefully selfishly again hopefully i will be covering a deep run in march and hopefully i'll be maybe even on scenes Uh, i'll be jealous i'll be jealous that's for sure well man this has been awesome like i said i'll be in touch and uh we'll we'll uh, have you on again shortly and we'll we'll talk soon okay sounds great thank you for having me on all right man yep Okay, let's finish up the show. Uh, quick outro here, Justin. Most intriguing storyline, and then we'll be on our way. What's your most intriguing storyline of uh, the last couple of days? Most intriguing storyline is obviously going to be, for me, the Pat McAfee and Aaron Rodgers situation at ESPN and Disney and ABC. Aaron Rodgers obviously going after Jimmy Kimmel uh, based on the Epstein allegations, obviously <laughs> being affiliated with him, but this is... Uh, this is a big situation here for Rodgers as he will not be able to go on the Pat McAfee show they announced uh, just yesterday. So it's a uh, it's a weird yeah. situation. It's intriguing, but uh, I think there's uh, there's a lot of blame to go around for this on all sides, even. Yeah, no, it's um because Aaron Rodgers yeah, obviously was a big guest. On the, on the Pat McAfee show. He's gone on Pat McAfee before, even before he was on ESPN. Oh, but yeah. For, uh, mm-hmm. But for Rodgers, they at least could have worked out some way, but stuff gets involved with uh, at that level. No, for sure. No, they – um, yeah, they had to do something. I mean, he was coming on, and he was literally, uh, you know – talking smack about ESPN, literally on ESPN. So mm-hmm. uh, they had to do something. I'm actually surprised he was on. They, I'm surprised they even let him back on uh, this past Tuesday after, you know, he came on the following Tuesday. I'm surprised he even came on this week, uh, just giving how tumultuous and uh, the situation that he put ESPN in. I'm surprised they even allowed him back to come on uh, this week. But, yeah, I guess they wanted to give him a chance to apologize, uh, speak his truth, but – um, you know, him coming on this last Tuesday was the final straw for ESPN. And just a weird situation overall. I mean, a very, very weird situation. And, uh, yeah, I they're just going to put it behind them and I guess act like it never happened at ESPN. Pat McAfee is, of course, definitely feuding right now with the upper management. He's not happy with them at, at all. And, um, you know, they're not happy with him. And it's just a very, very shady situation for sure, all things considered. My most intriguing storyline? 
the fall of top college basketball teams this week. Tuesday, we saw both Purdue and Houston go down. Purdue being number one, of course, they lost to Nebraska. And Houston, number two, they lost to Iowa State. And then on Wednesday, Kansas, number three in the country, lost to UCF. And number five, lost, uh, number five, Tennessee, excuse me, they lost to Mississippi State. And even UConn, number four in the country, they almost lost to Xavier, only winning by uh, five points, 80 to 75 as the final score. So, yeah, a weird week in college basketball. All Almost all the top five teams going down in upsets this week. Okay, good show. We'll be back on Saturday, breaking down NFL wild card weekend. Uh, a lot of games to get into. Really, really excited for those games coming up. Lance Allen, he'll be on from TMJ in Milwaukee, TMJ News, breaking down the Packers, their upcoming game, their season they've had so far. And, of course, got to talk about the Bucks, Damian Lillard, and Giannis, how their matchup is working out in Milwaukee, and just how the team is doing overall. Awesome interview with him coming up. And uh, until then, we'll see you on Saturday, and keep on traveling. <laughs>